Welcome everybody to another episode of Politics in the Time of Corona. We are actually now on a new set or a slightly different set because these uh, chairs that we were sitting on, Nora and I, created uh, a lot of uh, additional anxiety at this time. So they were not comfortable. So we are rearranging uh, things. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to our wonderful uh, guests who are joining us from Palestine and I'm joined, of course, by uh, Noura Aliqat. My name is Bassam Haddad. And Noura will introduce our guests, and we will get on with it. Welcome, um, Sahar Francis and Dana Farraj. We're excited to have you on this program today, which is different than what we've done in the past few episodes as we focus particularly on punishment in Palestine in the time of corona. Uh, you are both based... Um, in Ramallah, and so briefly I want to introduce you to our guest, Sahar Francis is the director of the Adlamir Prisoner Support and Human Rights Association and uh, an attorney, a fabulous attorney, uh, we must add. And Dana Farraj is also an attorney, a legal researcher, and one of the coordinators of the Stop Collective Punishment Campaign. Welcome, we're excited to have you with us. Thanks. Thank you. We've started every program by um, doing the only way you can start a program, which is asking, how have you been? And how have you been dealing with, with this, even at the personal and familiar level and so on? So it's a very difficult time because as working with the Palestinian prisoners, actually, it's really very uh, hard to see how the families are very worried because they're not allowed to visit and they're totally disconnected actually. All the Palestinian prisoners inside the Israeli prisons are totally disconnected. So we in Adlamir, we're still working and trying to do lots of efforts in order to fill this gap of the uncertainty that the families feel. So for me, it's even more difficult on the personal level because I'm like my family is not in Ramallah and I'm in between Ramallah and Hasuta, my uh, village. It's too far and too complicated to cross the checkpoints and back and forth. So it's really very difficult time. Okay, for me, uh, I'm okay. I'm based in Ramallah uh, with my family. Uh, but we are also worried about uh, some members of my family who are also in Israeli jails. But um, I'm personally good and working from home. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you to you both and strength to you both. Um, Sahar, based on what you're telling us, uh, we'd love to pick up from there there has been acute attention about uh, particularly vulnerable uh, populations, refugees who don't have a place to quarantine, and prisoners, of course, who are, don't have adequate health care or sanitary conditions in places where they're already confined. That could not be more true than in Israeli uh, detention, where Palestinian uh, political prisoners are and whom you represent, we've learned recently that there was a prisoner who was released, uh, Noor al-Samsur, or Sarsur, excuse me, Sarsur, who was uh, tested positive for corona. So can you tell us about what the situation looks like on the inside and how you're responding to this? 
actually it's really very uh, serious and very worrying uh, because first like the conditions in general in the Israeli prisons for the Palestinian uh, political prisoners are not uh, good. There's a serious uh, problem with the healthcare in general. So imagine now in the time of the corona how uh, uh, serious it could be. And secondly, because of the uh, restrictions and the measures that the Israeli prison authority decided to implement in these uh, weeks, actually they immediately canceled all the family visits. A week after they canceled all the uh, uh, lawyers' visits to the prisons and interrogation centers. So basically, these 5,000 prisoners are totally disconnected from the outside world, especially because they don't have access for phone calls as well. So they cannot communicate with their families. And um, rooms are very crowded, of course. Uh, uh, and this is very sensitive in the corona. They cannot keep the distance of two meters uh, one from uh, another. They didn't, uh, the prison authority didn't offer them any uh, special hygiene or uh, sanitary uh, staff. They don't uh, do the basic things actually in order to protect them. And when it comes for the staff, like the policemen and, and the soldiers or the interrogators or the people that comes in and out from the prison, we don't know how uh, much they are protected because actually the case that you mentioned most probably this guy was infected we we don't know because he was arrested for um, less than three weeks actually they never checked him while he was in prison we like he was released and then he was uh, checked by the Palestinian Authority health uh, like the uh, health ministry and then when he was positive, till now in Aufer prison, they didn't took the correct measures. Like they just isolated uh, the nine people who were in the same section, but not the other prisoners, like other prisoners who may maybe came in contact with him. They were never uh, uh, checked. And also those who were checked, they just check the temperature of the uh, person. They don't do the proper uh, blood check or any other special check. Uh, uh, there's a serious problem in interrogation centers as well because they keep arrest people. They send them immediately for the 14 days of quarantine. They don't interrogate them. The conditions in the isolation is so bad. The rooms are uh, not equipped. Uh, some, uh, some detainees spend two weeks without having the ability to make sure or to get to change their underwear. This is terrible. And we were forced to go to the court in order to guarantee such basic rights. Uh, Sahad, I want to ask you a question. How much of this is an endemic feature of uh, a prisoner and Israeli detention, of being a Palestinian prisoner in Israeli detention? And how much of it is unique to this particular moment of the corona crisis? Actually, um, if comparing in general with the uh, conditions, it's not so unique because prisoners usually face lots of problems on the health level and in the isolation and in all the punishments that they face and the lack of the proper uh, treatment uh, for them inside the prison. And there's lots of restrictions always on family visits, lawyers meetings, and so on. But now it becomes more severe 
And when comparing with the uh, measures that were taken for criminal prisoners inside Israel, this is, makes it very uh, discriminating uh, measures because like at least uh, Israeli prisoners can call their families on daily basis. They have public phones in their sections. Uh, although they are not getting family visits, but they can communicate with their families, they can get more free time outside of their cells. They can purchase more things from the canteen, like uh, in this corona time, the prison authority restricted as well the, uh, thing, the stuff that the prisoners can um, buy from the canteen, including things to clean their own cells and uh, uh, hygiene stuff to protect themselves. So this is, makes it really uh, looks like a very discriminating uh, policy now and as a corona uh, virus. So even, there's even disparate treatment between Israeli and Palestinian detainees. That's, yeah, that's very telling. Yeah, this is, this is always like we, it should be highlighted that the conditions of the Palestinian prisoners classified as security prisoners makes them suffer more and uh, like get more restrictions, punishments on daily basis in general. So now in the corona time, it's even worse. Uh, Dana, I want to shift to you um, on, on the same theme. What's what's been really evident is that the uh, Israeli oppression has not relented, even in the moment of a global pandemic that doesn't discriminate between people of who it can infect. And yet Israel has been relentless in its punitive regime, as highlighted by Sahar in prisons, but also highlighted in the work that you do. Um, in the campaign to stop collective punishment. And I, I think part of your focus in that campaign has been to stop home demolitions. Can you tell us a little bit about your work and what that looks like in, in recent weeks um, during the pandemic? Yeah, uh, actually we started the campaign at the end of February uh, in response to the judgment of the so-called Israeli High Court of Justice uh, to demolish the family homes of two political prisoners, Yazan Mghamis and Walid Hanache, starting at that moment by the 1st of March. Uh, the two homes were demolished in the midst of the spreading uh, of coronavirus uh, on the 5th of March. Uh, so we are a group of Palestinian and international lawyers, uh, activists and human rights defenders. Um, and we launched this campaign uh, against the policy of Israeli regime in punitive uh, home demolitions as it comes in grave violation of international humanitarian law, international human rights law, and customary international law. Uh, since the Israeli regime has engaged in collective punishment against Palestinians since the beginning of the military occupation in 67, uh, based on the defense emergency regulations uh, of 45, uh, inherited from the British administration of mandatory Palestine. Um, and this policy has intensified during the first and second intifadas, and also the latest uh, popular uprising uh, in 2015, uh, particularly in Jerusalem. So although in early March, uh, the World Health Organization declared the novel outbreak of COVID-19 coronavirus, 
a pandemic and urged all governments to take appropriate, appropriate measures uh, to slow its spread and reiterated that people should stay at their homes. Uh, the so-called Israeli High Court of Justice confirmed that uh, last week that starting by 8th of April 2020, which means tomorrow, the family home of political prisoner Qassam al-Barghouti uh, can be demolished at any time. Uh, and we know all that home is usually a highly appreciated personal space. Uh, home is where the heart is. Uh, home is safety and memories, happy and sad memories of childhood, uh, friendships, uh, personal relations, uh, books, photos, everything. Uh, so a family home is not just a property, is, um, it is as sacred as the family itself. And home demolitions comes in extreme violation of the right to residence and the housing and also the right of private property. So this, this like in the case of, of Sahra's description of the condition of prisoners, you're bringing up two issues, right? One is the consistency of Israeli policy and oppression, which is home demolitions um, that have been a, a significant feature of Israeli occupation. And to, with that collective punishment, which for the audience who doesn't know, it's in, respo in, in response to the punishment of one, you, collect, you punish an entire group either to, for the pure sense of punishment or to coerce that particular individual into some, into some action. So, right, the Gaza blockade is the most grotesque form of collective punishment upon two million people for what Israel and the United States and the European Union are, are claiming are Hamas's violations. Then there's the other issue, which is now in the middle of a pandemic, rather than protect people and find extraordinary measures in order to create homes to provide and to ensure quarantine, the Israeli High Court of Justice, between two quotes as, as you indicate, is demolishing that shelter for them. So how do you communicate? I mean, this is just so obscene. How do you communicate that in the course of your campaign and the work that you're trying to do? The normalcy of it, the continuity, and also the, the absurd nature of it. Yeah. Uh, actually, Israel does not never respect any elementary principles of the humanity. Even further, Israel continues its aggressive politics against protected civilians, people, in humanitarian law. And in response to the WHO call, many countries are implementing restrictive and protective action plans, including closing borders, uh, complete lockdowns of cities. Meanwhile, in these moments, all human beings are suffering an international health crisis, as you mentioned. And while the WHO is calling for staying at homes and repeats the measures of social distance, Israel, starting by tomorrow, can invade in any moment the village of Kobar near Ramallah to demolish the, another Palestinian home and make people homeless. And this has nothing to do with the basic uh, recommendations in order to not spread the coronavirus. And maybe it is worth mentioning that these home demolitions normally occur in Area A, which is based on the bilateral agreements of Oslo, uh, is considered a complete controlled area by the Palestinian Authority. And the last demolition of Walid Hanach's home was in the heart of Ramallah, which is the center of the Palestinian Authority's institutions and the so-called government. And for, for, again, for those who are unfamiliar, that kind of fragmented jurisdictional regime highlights the complete lack of any authority that Palestinians have over their lives 
given how um, they can trans Israeli occupation forces can transgress these borders. Sahar, the idea of, of collective punishment, and specifically in, in these cases that, that Dana is bringing up, it's like after the Palestinian has already been punished in Israeli detention without any form of due process or any way to articulate their cause, they're then punished afterwards again and again. That The punishment is long-lasting, and I'm sure that you see that in your work on behalf of the political prisoners as well. Yes, of course. Actually, this is a very extreme policy that the Israelis were using for decades now. And each time the Israeli high court is iterating this policy and, and like uh, the ironic thing that also discrimination is taking place on this level, like if you take the settlers who were involved in killing Palestinians, like burning the Dewebshin family or Abu Khdir or the other cases, uh, of course, their homes wouldn't be uh, uh, demolished. Like their families would never be punished. Uh, uh, and this is why we claim it's a collective punishment because you arrest the Palestinian person, you torture him, you drove him like uh, to give a confession under such uh, very serious torture, and then you prosecute him and convict him and send him for life sentence, open life sentence like uh, uh, that is not limited, and then you demolish uh, his house and you punish the whole uh, family, and they do it um, like in, in, in every year and repeat it and they don't care. As Dana mentioned, they don't care if it's a house under the PA uh, uh, jurisdiction or not. They just, uh, I don't think that for them, all this classification of area A, B and C is existing anymore. Security can justify, and the main reason for the high court to justify such practices actually is security. And um, uh, they claim that it could prevent other people, which they know exactly that, no, it's not a preventive measure. The opposite. In some cases, it will cause uh, some other people to go out and to resist more because of these uh, policies. The problem here that Israel is uh, immune on the international level. They're not accountable for all these war crimes, like collective punishment is a war crime, according to the Fourth Geneva Convention and definitely the uh, Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. But here, like, we are stuck with this uh, investigation by the prosecutor office in the ICC for a couple of years now without any hope that it will lead for serious accountability. And I think this is what makes Israel behave in this way, that they don't care because they don't pay the price. They are not accountable for any of the war crimes that and the crimes against humanity that they are committing on a very systematic way. And this is why they allow themselves to repeat all these violations, even with this COVID-19 uh, uh, circumstances where all the world were calling for uh, ways how to protect people, like on the level of the prisoners. Every country were requested by the uh, uh, UN um, uh, High Commissioner to release, to think about releasing prisoners in this difficult moment in order to protect them, not to keep them, where the occupying power is continuing arresting people every day, 
renewing administrative detention orders for people that they are 74 years old or sick people that they are really under a very serious health threat that they suffer and if they would be infected that's it like maybe they will die inside prison and they're insisting in not releasing and not like uh, 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 respecting what the uh, uh, international community the UN is uh, uh, offering like asking countries to to do in these uh, uh, days following up uh, on a question that was addressed earlier so uh, during this time is is Israel paying uh, less attention to uh, quote-unquote norms because it is taking advantage of the fact that most other countries, the international community is busy or because there was a discussion about, you, you shared something about this is a time when uh, governments are supposed to actually provide more uh, to even to prisoners and so on. Is, so Noura asked earlier if, if this is a function of Israel's uh, apartheid policies and Israel's uh, uh, ordinary policies of, of punishment and uh, incarceration or or is this getting worse as a result of the blind eye or as a result of the preoccupation of the international community and the other question very quickly before we we run out of time what what is the situation in Gaza prisons and is there is there a model that's being that that could be presented in Gaza prisons of releasing prisoners of dealing with the situation in a way that could actually uh, demonstrate a, a stark difference or do we not see a movement on that uh, front? On the first question, actually Israel is behaving always in this way. They don't care about the international law. They don't care. They know that they will not be accountable, not uh, very soon at least. But uh, I think it makes it the uh, uh, sensitivity of the spread like the problems of the uh, coronavirus situation makes it more difficult and more serious uh, in this uh, way that Israel is uh, behaving at least on the prisoners level let's say but I think in all the other uh, levels because the uh, usual business of the occupation is continuing actually irrelevant to the emergency situation that they declared since the beginning of uh, March. On the other uh, question, uh, unfortunately, Domir is not able to access uh, Gaza, so we don't know much about the current situation on the um, Gaza prisons, uh, actually. But I think, um, like at least on the PA side, on the West Bank, we were demanding the PA as well as an organization with the other uh, colleagues, human rights, Palestinian human rights organizations to uh, make sure to release uh, prisoners and they did actually. They uh, released uh, those who were sentenced and their sentences were about to be uh, like finishing uh, soon. Um, unfortunately, it's not clear uh, what about the political prisoners on the PA side. You know the problem that the PA is not admitting that they have political prisoners at all. So they uh, don't admit that they need to release political prisoners. Though we uh, felt there's no new arrests lately, 
in the last two, three weeks in the PA side, though there is still several uh, prisoners who were arrested for political affiliation and were sentenced for long period, they were not released with this group of the prisoners that the PA uh, released and we are continuing the pressure as uh, organizations on the PA. Dana, just shifting to you a little bit and thinking about, you know, the, 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 the explicit discriminatory practices, the distinction, right? The collective punishment is only applied to Palestinians, the distinction between the treatment of, of Israeli and Palestinian prisoners, um, and obviously the campaigns that you're engaging in. What has been the response and your ability to connect uh, with people globally as we're all quarantined, but unable to mobilize this campaign um, and how it's been received? Yeah, actually, when we started, we tried to translate our first statement to Spanish, Spanish, English, Spanish, sorry, uh, French, English, and Arabic to to reach the most people in the world. So we contacted also solidarity movement uh, in different countries, uh, and they were very positive with with us. Also, we contacted Palestinian NGOs, uh, particularly Al Haq, who worked uh, since many years uh, on this issue and they have also um, uh, many reports on home demolitions and uh, the collective punishment. Um, I would like also to mention something which was very remarkable uh, with the Trump's peace plan. Um, actually it stipulates that Israel is not obliged to stop its punitive demolition following in quotations acts of terrorism which is for us as Palestinians is a legitimate resistance. So we can see how a third uh, party state as, uh, the U as the United States of America is practicing uh, to encourage Israel in its systematic uh, punitive policy um, instead of uh, helping in uh, prosecute uh, Israel uh, for its war crimes. Um, According to Al-Haq report, for example, Israel has demolished since 67 around 2,000 Palestinian homes in practice of punitive measures. Um, but at the end, we can say that it is uh, very painful for us to see our homes built with the sweet and toil of families for generations uh, to be destroyed by the Zionist uh, Israeli apparatus. But most importantly, we repeat uh, what uh, many Palestinians say. Uh, they can demolish the stones, not our memory, not our resistance, and uh, we will rebuild again and again, again to continue our struggle for freedom. Um, maybe I have a last uh, uh, word to all the audience. Uh, so here, by the name of our campaign, Stop Collective Punishment, we, we err upon all humanitarian organizations and every person who value his home as all other human beings to stand with us to stop this uh, Israeli punitive demolition policy, to pressure also on the International Court, uh, Criminal Court, sorry, as we said, uh, to investigate home demolitions as our crimes. Um, homes are being demolished, justified by illogical and colonial pretexts that only serve Israel's ongoing need for revenge. Before, thank you so much for that, Dana. And to our listeners and viewers, we do encourage you to heed that call. And before we turn to you, Sahar, to also um, wrap up with your final thoughts and words, 
I just wanted, because you highlighted the Trump administration's collusion in this process, to highlight that one of the longest standing U.S. policies has been to support Israel and its withholding of now 100 and 81, uh, what is it, million dollars in tax revenue, uh, in also in, in some sort of a collective punishment because of the Palestinian official policy of supporting families of martyrs. And so this also is holding hostage an entire society and also undermining uh, response to the uh, public health crisis in this moment by not distributing those funds for much-needed medical supplies. And so, yes, the U.S. collusion is, is, is not only deep, but quite sinister because of the logic of, of, of victim-blaming that Palestinians put this upon themselves. So thank you for, for bringing that to bear. So, Sahar, uh, with that, would, uh, can you help us um, wrap up with your final thoughts and any, any messages you would have with the audience? Yeah, so actually, thank you uh, uh, very much for this opportunity. I think it's a very important uh, platform that we can send our message to all of the activists and the supporters, uh, especially for the Palestinian prisoners, because next week is the Prisoner's Day, uh, the 17th of April. So I would ask people to join the campaign of Domir on uh, free our prisoners, like, uh, because of the corona, but in general, because this is the aim that all these political prisoners should be released because they are arrested of the uh, uh, conflict. And uh, I would encourage people to visit the website of Donir and all the other social media to get the information and to join the different activities and the calls for action that we issue in this uh, special day, actually all the month of April would be a month for the prisoners. Thank you so much, uh, Sahar and Dana, for, for giving us your time at, at this very difficult uh, situation and under the most horrible of circumstances, as usual, where you're at and doing what you are doing on a daily basis. We really, we really thank you and uh, appreciate all your efforts and hope to speak with you under better circumstances. Unless Noda has something else to say, we're going to say goodbye and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. Take be care safe. of yourselves. Be safe. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.